Go ahead and do me a favor and turn in your copy of the scriptures to John chapter eight, uh, 16, excuse me, the Gospel of John chapter 16. Uh, and as Todd said, my name is Ryan Fultz. I'm the director of high school ministries here at our, uh, at our church. And I, uh, I love the few opportunities that I get to get up and, and, and bring the word uh, together, to, to jump into God's word together on Sunday mornings like this. And if you've been around much over the past couple of months, you'll, uh, you'll recognize we've been in this series that we have called Unstoppable. And uh, if you're new, I want to make sure you realize we're not talking about how good or how awesome or how talented we are. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about unstoppable. We are making much of our God who is unstoppable and making much of his plans which he will make happen. And so as we talk about unstoppable, it's always in that light. God's plans are unstoppable. His purposes are unstoppable. And that theme will continue on this morning. If we were to be honest, and I really, really hope we can be, Many of us can point to a time or many times in our life where we have questioned the truth of whether God truly is unstoppable. We may have thought or said things like, really, God? Like, this is your plan? (laughs) Really, God, you had no better way to accomplish your purposes than this? This is your plan A? I'll be the first to say, I've thought those Rarely do I voice those, but I've thought those. And I know for me, usually in these moments, they're in a moment of pressure, of discomfort, when things are going on that I cannot control. And it's almost always when I have forgotten that this world is not my home. That I was actually created for something greater, for eternity with God. So even as we feel the pressures of life, the trials, the, the persecution, all you have to do is look around, watch a little bit of the news, and it just freaks you out. Or at least it freaks me out. And we are reminded that this is not our home. We were made for something greater. And until I am home with the Lord, I will experience hard things. And I need to remind myself, this is not my home. So before we kind of continue to dive into unpacking uh, what it looks like for God's plans to be unstoppable, and as we look at uh, this great prayer that Jesus prayed on his way to the cross, I want to just read the text. And it's a, a long text. We're going to start in verse 32 of chapter 16 and read all the way through 17. So I need your best attention. I need you guys looking at uh, your copy of the scriptures. I will be working out of uh, uh, the ESV, but we will we'll work through Chapter 16, verse 32 through the end of 17. Are we ready? Yes. Sweet. You guys are awake. Thank you. Behold, the hour is coming and indeed it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, 
the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in their own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you, have, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know you to come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. I am praying for them, and I'm not praying for the world, but those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, while you have given, uh, which you have given me, I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and those things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in, my, or in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you even for, for parts like this where we have a window into the heart of our Savior Jesus. Would you help us to, to not just learn today, but to be affected by your word. To be convicted, to be encouraged, to be challenged that we might go from here challenged to grow more to be like you, Jesus. Would you help us? Would you glorify yourself today in our presence? It's in your name we pray all of these things. Amen. What an incredible text. We truly do get a window into the heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This prayer comes at the end of what many call the, the farewell discourse. The final things that Jesus was talking about and communicating uh, to his disciples. And it was... It was a moment where he had finished teaching and he looked up to the Father and poured out his heart to the Father. The very next thing that we see in our copy of the scripture is he is betrayed to the cross. 
to die a painful, excruciating death, bearing judgment due sinners. But before we unpack 17, which I hope to kind of give us a, uh, a quick uh, kind of overarching understanding of what God was, or what Jesus was praying, I can't do that without looking at verse 33 again. Because this is what sets the table for his prayer. This is what leads him into his prayer with the Father. Verse 33 reads like this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus makes this crystal clear to you and I today that Christians will experience trouble. We are going to have hard times. He's communicating with the disciples, and we know this is true, that life hurts. Life is hard. But he promises that true peace can be found in himself. And that he is going to win that ultimate victory. When I read a text like this, I usually try to put myself in the text. What would this look like if I was there? And I I can kind of picture Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, guys, right here, look at me. Look at me. Life is going to be hard for you. Things are going to get rough. You're going to have trouble. You're going to be persecuted. But because you are mine and you belong to me, you will have peace. And don't worry, guys. I'm going to win. Like, that's how I would picture Jesus looking at his guys and just saying, I'm going to win. I've got this. I've got this. And this is what launches Jesus into this prayer. And I think that's good for us to note. When Jesus was moving towards the cross, in full confidence that he was going to win, he still sought the Father. He still prayed to the Father. So what can we learn from a prayer like this? This is different than uh, what we often call the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus is teaching his people how to pray. When his disciples say, hey, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he talks about how to pray. This is very, very different. This is us looking at Jesus pray. This is us sitting in that circle as Jesus talks with his Father. And while we can't always pray the same things, Jesus is going to say, glorify me. If we ever said that, that'd be heresy. What we can do is we can learn to love what Jesus loved and be about what Jesus was about. We get a window into what what Jesus cared about most in the world to pray to the Father even as he was heading towards the cross. As, As Christians, we could have confidence knowing that Jesus has overcome the world, that this world is not our home and that there is something greater coming. And if we would like to grow and change, we would do best to love what Jesus loved, to be about what Jesus was about, and to pray and work towards anything that would honor him. So what I want to humbly place before you today is three goals. If you would put these in your life, if you would make these kind of the forefront of, of life for you, you will be aligning your heart with the heart of Jesus. You will be saying, Jesus, I'm about what you're about. If this is, your, what is, it, if this is what you love, I'm going I'm to love it too. If we will go after these three 
things, these three simple goals for our life, I think we can live faithful lives as Christians, honoring him with all we are and all that we do. So the first goal that I want to show you from this text, something that Jesus loved and gave his life for was this, you must live your life for God's glory. We must live our lives for God's glory. We see this in verse one where he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Jesus was about the glory of the father. But he starts it off with these four words. The hour has come. These are, these are four words that I think we are so quick to skip over. Many times, Jesus throughout the Gospels has already said the time is not yet. It's not our time. It's not my time. It's not my time to do this. It's not my time to go there. But why now is he saying, my time has come. The hour is here. I think it is hard for us to grasp the significance of this moment. We struggle to plan for two weeks. What God had been planning for eternity was here. Think about that just for a moment, that within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, before creation, they had been planning this. They knew that there would be a time when Jesus would come to earth. He would move uh, through life obedient perfectly and would find himself at this point where he was almost at the cross. And then it would be his time. We don't plan for a month. Yet they'd been planning from the beginning. They'd been planning before creation, eternally. So this is one of the most significant moments in all of history. When Jesus says, the hour has come. It's like he's looking up to the Father and saying, it's here. It's time, isn't it? Well, let's go. Let's do this. I I just love that. The the love and the affection and the planning and the care that went through all this. And now Jesus is saying it is time. But what? What was it time for? What was it time for? Well, it was time to bring glory to the Father through the Son. That's what he says in verse 1. It says very specifically, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. In this moment, Jesus shows us his commitment to the glory of the Father. Jesus was ferociously devoted to honoring and glorifying the Father. His commitment to honor the Father led him to earth in the form of a man, to lay aside so many things we read throughout Scripture. His commitment to honor the Father led him throughout his life towards worship and get this perfect Obedience. And his commitment to the glory of the Father led him even now in this moment to the horrible death on the cross. Jesus' life was lived with 100% focus on the glory of the Father. So how should this affect us 2,000 years later? How should that affect us 2,000 years later? Well, as I said earlier, we're, we are supposed to be about what Jesus is about. 
We're supposed to love what Jesus loved, live for what he lived for. And in this moment, if Jesus were to look at us and say, well, this is what this means for you, I think he would tell us, glorify the Father with all of your life. Spend your life honoring God. Thankfully, this is not the only piece of scripture we have. We see this all over the pages of scripture. I think about 1 Corinthians 10.31 that says, So whether you eat or whether you drink, do all for the glory of God. Or Matthew 5.16 that says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works. And do what? Give glory to God the Father in heaven. You see, God is worthy of every area of our life to be submitted to him. Your desires, your thoughts, your affections, your actions. God, his glory is at stake. Do we recognize that we are in a spiritual battle? Man, last week was one of my favorite sermons of this series. Personally, because it was really convicting. I was reminded how, how quickly I forget we are at war every day. When I roll out of bed, I don't usually think, all right, I'm at war. Let's get my, let's get my gear on. I usually think, what do I need to do to get through the day? <laughs> but we have to recognize we are at war and we are at a war with glory at stake. At the end of the day, the real question is, who's going to get the glory from my life? Is it Ryan or is it God? Is it Ryan who can barely wake up in the morning and do what, do what he's been called to do? Really, he can't. Or is it the God of the universe who created all things, who is powerful and mighty and sent his son to die on my behalf? Who's going to get the glory? I want it to be God. I want it to be God. I want him to get the glory for my life. For anything good that I do, I want him to get the glory. Anything bad that I do, I'll take the, I'll take the blame. We are in a war for glory. Our spiritual disciplines, for example, such as Bible reading and prayer and scripture memory and meditation are not simply boxes to be checked but they're avenues to increase our worship and help us bring more glory to God because we need it desperately. Our fight with our own sin is not about making our life easier, but it's a daily fight with the things that threaten to rob God of his glory. Our Christian relationships are not about surrounding ourselves with people that make us feel more comfortable about ourselves but they're an opportunity to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to greater glory for God. Bottom line, this world reminds me every day that I don't belong. Sin, suffering, persecution, and discouragement is all around me, but we were made for eternity with God. And we will, I promise you this, we will find no greater purpose and joy than when we live for, to make much of God. Than when we live to display God in all of our lives. While the cross Jesus bore was once and for all, we have the opportunity every day to take up our cross and follow Jesus. 
We have the opportunity every day to live for God's glory. We have the opportunity every day to say yes to God and no to myself. And listen, I'm going to say this a few times this morning. I, I want to make sure you hear me right. As I lay these things before you, as, as we call together to, to bring our lives more in line with God's word, I stand here as somebody who blows it all the time. I stand here as somebody who is the guy who's waking up in the morning more worried about how I'm going to make it through the day than whether I'm going to honor the Lord sometimes. But I want to call you with me. Let's set our sights on something greater. Let's set our sights on the glory of God. If we love what Jesus loves, we will be about the glory of God. But that's not the only thing I think we see here that Jesus loves so greatly. There's a second goal that I would want to lay before you that we could place in our life. And it is simply that we should stay focused on the mission of God or stay focused on God's mission. In this middle section of, of his prayer, verse 6 to 19, God, God is praying over his disciples. But he's, he's not just simply praying for his disciples. Jesus is most concerned in this moment about the mission of the gospel. Everything he prays has the mission of the gospel at its focus. Everything he asks the Father for is about the message of Jesus making it to the corners of the world. Jesus knows God's plan goes beyond his death on the cross. It's impossible without it, but goes beyond as we take that message of Jesus to the world. And so if we're going to remember and stay focused on that mission, I think there's a few things we would see here in the text that would help us to remember. If we want to stay focused, it's that first thing that we've already talked about is that we are not from this world Verse 14 and 15 remind us of this, where it says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. All of our memories are tied to this world. <laughs> so it's hard for us to, to, to sink our teeth into this bedrock truth that this is not where we belong. I believe much of the dissatisfaction, much of the heartache, much of the discouragement and weariness that most Christians are, are experiencing is because they're trying to build a little kingdom right here. We're trying to act like this is my life and I've got nothing else. When this life is but a blip in eternity, you blink and it will be gone. We were created for eternity with God. Too many Christians think life is about getting our best life now. The most stuff, the easiest relationships, perfectly behaved kids, our best life now. But it is not our home. I really appreciated how John MacArthur explained this in a simple quote. He just said, the Christian gospel, so the message of Jesus, the Christian gospel is not offering you heaven on earth. It's offering you heaven in heaven. Like, it's really simple, but let me read that again. The Christian gospel is not offering you heaven on earth. It's offering you heaven, get this, in heaven. If we could just remind ourselves of that truth. When something doesn't work out, when I'm feeling beat up and discouraged, when I'm watching people that I love go 
go all these different directions, just remind yourself, brothers and sisters, this is not my home. I will get eternity with God. And when I do, it will be glorious. It will be glorious. So if we're going to stay focused on the mission, I think that's the first thing we have to remind ourselves is, this is not my home. This is not what I live for. This is not my eternity right here in this world. But the second thing I think we see in this text that Jesus prays over his disciples is that his people are to be sanctified. They're to be sanctified. And you see that in uh, verse 17 and 19. I'll read it again for you. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now this This word sanctification has got a couple different sides to it. There's the side where it's to be set apart for something and to be growing in holiness. So it's got these two pieces. One is the moral kind of aspect of growing to be more like Jesus. And the other is we've been set apart for something, for a mission. Jesus, though, what I love about his prayer is he shows us so stinking clearly about where we're supposed to find the help. What does he say? sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Like, you're just just straight up praying this. This is what my people need. They need God's word. That means our growth and holiness is directly tied to God's truth at work in our lives. You want to know why we're so passionate about God's word? It's because it's the only thing that has the power to transform. Talk radio is not going to transform your life. Usually it freaks you out more than anything. NFL games, they will not transform your life. And if you're checking the Bengals score right now in London, repent. Just kidding. (laughs) Netflix, Netflix will not transform your life positively. God's word has the power to change your life. If we want to be focused on God's mission, that means holiness and transformation is part of that mission. As we go, we're to grow. As we share, we're to change. Let me show you just a, just a little like window into Ryan's heart of how this has worked this past week. So as I said, last week's sermon that Brad gave on, on, on the war mentality was super convicting to me. Uh, I spent some time thinking about, Lord, what would you have me adjust in my life to help me prepare for battle every day? God, by God's grace, I, I've been reading God's word. I've been praying more than I've ever prayed in my life. He's really grown some of these disciplines in my life. But the Lord very clearly, not like an audible word, but as I was thinking about this, uh, there was a specific discipline that the Lord brought to my mind. It was scripture memory. Um, I've memorized scripture before. I've done it in and out of seasons of my life. But I can pro- I, I'll just be honest with you, it is not a regular part of my life right now. So this past week, I went home and was super convicted. Lord, I, it's like I'm putting like the shin guards on and like grabbing a piece of the armor, but it's like I'm not putting it all on. And so I was, I was like, well, what do I need to do with this? Lord, I want to memorize scripture because I know it has the opportunity and the, the ability and the power to change my life as I think about it all day long. So knowing myself well, the best way to do nothing would be to keep that idea to myself. 
right? Is anybody else like that? Like, if, you know, I know this needs to change, so if I don't want to do it, I'll just keep it right there. But hey, I had small group that week. And uh, we lead a small group, and we've been talking about the sermon. That's kind of what we've been doing on, on Wednesday nights when we meet. And so I decided this is what I'm going to share is the, is the area that the Lord is convicting me in. And so I told him, hey, when we meet again, I'm going to have the passage that I'm going to memorize, and it's going to be a long passage. And I just want you guys to, to keep asking me about it. Make sure that I'm, that I'm doing it. It's, it's my job, but I want to ask for your help, friends, as I pursue this discipline. <laughs> I was thinking about it as I was telling him this because I realized, you know, with a lot of spiritual disciplines, you can, when they ask you, how, how's it been going? You can say, oh, it's been pretty good, been, been better. But, <laughs> but when they ask you how your scripture memory's been going, and you say pretty good, and then they say, well, show it to us. And you stand there and you try to get it out. And, oh, but it was a different translation than you got. It just, it just isn't going to go well. So I've laid before my small group a way that I want to grow and change. And there is zero hiding from it. But that's how the Lord worked in my life, specifically this past week. As I realized I was forgetting that I was at war every day. I was thinking I could handle my life on my own. And the thing that I need is I need God's word all day long in my life. So feel free, this is like the best accountability, feel free to ever ask me. I'm not going to perform for you, but you're, feel free to ask me, hey Ryan, how's scripture memory been going? And uh, I plan on pursuing this because I need it. I need God's word all day long in my heart and in my life. And when the pressures come, they seek to push all of these things upon me. And I just need more of Jesus every day. So if we're going to stay focused on this mission, I think we're going to be committed to this kind of transformation. But the other side of of sanctification, what did I say? Is it's to be set apart for something. And this is what brings us to the third part about how do we really stay focused on this mission. Is that we have to understand we are sent with the message of Jesus to the world. We are sent ones on mission every day. Verse 15 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then verse 18 says, as you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. We are sent ones on a mission. I think it's a little bit crazy that God chose us as the primary vehicle for his good news. But he is God and I am not. I'm telling you, God could have just set this up to be like, once you come to know Jesus for salvation, you just zap straight to heaven. He, he could have set it up that way. He could have said, once you repent and trust Jesus uh, as, your, as your salvation, you get to go to heaven. He, he could have set that up that way. But he didn't. That's why he prays, not that they would be removed from the world, but that he would keep them from the evil one. He knows that he is sent people into the world. And this is not just simply pastors. This is not just simply the disciples. This is a call for all of us to live every day as sent ones on God's mission. So when Jesus came to complete his mission, he knew it was to the cross, to death, to raise again, to be raised again, and to be with with God in eternity That is the message we bring. That is the message we're about. He even says it in verse 3. He says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We have the mission of Jesus. 
We have the mission of talking about Jesus, taking Jesus into our workplace, into our school, everywhere we go. Do you wake up, honestly, wake up every morning thinking, I am a sent one? Do you wake up every morning thinking, God, thank you for what you've done in my life. Would I put you on display in such a way where people come to know you every day? I don't always. Once again, I'll tell you, I wake up some days just trying to figure out how I'm going to get to bed again in the evening. But we are sent ones. It's our identity as Christians. It's our identity as Christians. How would this change your perspective as you head into work tomorrow morning? Maybe I should say, how will it? Will you wake up tomorrow and say, I'm a sent one of God? How would this change when you talk to your neighbors? Maybe on Monday night as you're trick-or-treating. How, would, how will this change how you talk with them? How will this affect students? How will this affect you in your classes? Will you see yourself as sent on a mission by God to talk about Jesus? Parents, how would this change you and how you love and care for your kids if you wake up tomorrow morning saying, I am a sent one. I am on mission for Jesus. This is hard. God could have just zapped us up to heaven the moment we repented, but he didn't. He decided a redeemed life would be a redirected life. A redeemed life would move us to mission. That's what he decided. And so I'm going to be all in. And I want to invite you guys to do the same. Would you see yourself as a sent one every day? Jesus cared about this mission. He prayed towards this mission's end. He loved people and the glory of God. So we must live for God's glory. We must stay focused on this mission of taking Jesus to the world. But there's one more, one more goal I want to lay before you. If you'll put this in your life, it will radically shape and change you. Jesus lived for God's glory. He prayed for God's mission to continue. And he reminded us of one of our greatest tools in our mission. Our third goal is simple. We must take care to live like God's people. We must take care to live like God's people. Let me read verse 20 and 21 to you. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 20 struck me the first time I read it. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for you. Think about that just for a moment. 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for you. He's praying for all those who would come to know him through the ministry of the disciples. That's you. That's me. In this moment, before the cross, Jesus prayed for you. But what does he pray? 
If Jesus is praying for us, we better sit up straight. <laughs> and we better take a moment to think about what he actually is praying because it probably means something important to us. This is what he prays, that they may all be one so that the world may believe you have sent me. Jesus prays for unity for his people. Jesus prays for unity for the sake of the mission. It's not unity for unity's sake. It's not unity just so we can say we're united. It's so that people will see me, Jesus. This is not simply a unity where we ignore differences, hold hands, sing songs, and pretend. D.A. Carson explains it well in his commentary when he says, The believers, still distinct, are to be one in purpose, in love, in action, undertaken with and for another, and in joint submission to the revelation received. And the revelation received is the news of Jesus. We are to be united, I think, in these two main areas of the message and in love. In the message of Jesus and the love we've received from Jesus. This is a unity submitted under the truth of God's word. It is not just a unity that we talk about or give lip service to. Believers should be devoted to loving God together and loving each other because they share the gift of grace through Jesus. So what, what does this really look like? Well, I want to just remind you, this is not the first time Jesus has cared about this. This is not the first time where it's like, oh man, that's brand new. Now, if you look back in, in John chapter 13, in verse 34, if you want to turn there with me really quickly. John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And if you skip a few more chapters forward, in John 15, you'll read in verse 12 this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, friends, most, most Christians I know would never deny this truth. I would say, yeah, we're supposed to love one another. But I promise you, it is often forgotten and neglected when it comes to how we treat one another. Jesus calls you a friend if you obey here. Think about that just for a moment. Jesus calls us to a life of love and then says, you are my friend if you practice this, if you obey so what does this love look like? What does loving unity look like? What does it look like to love each other well so we are united? Well, this is where I think 1 Corinthians 10, or 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 13 is a great place for us to look at. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, some of you are saying, Ryan, that's a marriage passage. And I want to tell you, you're wrong. Humbly. <laughs> if you look at the context of that passage, that is not about marriage. 
It is about the local church and how they interact with one another. Paul is laying out for the church in Corinth how to use the spiritual gifts God has given them to build up the church and then calls them to this kind of radical love. It's not wrong to use it for marriage, particularly when there's a Christian, because that's the kind of love we're supposed to treat one another with. But this is the kind of love that is supposed to be depicted in all of our Christian relationships. Now let that sink in. First Corinthians 13 applies to those that you don't see eye to eye with. First Corinthians 13 applies to those who have hurt you in the past. First Corinthians 13 applies to those that may be voting differently than you this year round. First Corinthians 13 is what Jesus calls us to bear fruit in. We are to love one another well. Is the way we interact with one another pointing a lost world to a perfect savior? Our unity should be observable. It should be clearly seen. I don't think this means we, we just all stand in line and say the same things, think the same things, do the same things. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to be devoted to the message of the cross and to love each other well. One of the things I want to just lay before you, I, I've tried to put it, take it out of my sermon, and I think the Lord kept kind of wanting it to be in there, is I really believe 1 Corinthians 13 should apply to how we communicate with one another on social media as well. One of the things that grieves me most, ah, most might be a strong word, but grieves me, is when I watch Christians interact on social media, and it is clear to me there's nobody who's pointed to Jesus through that interaction. It grieves me. There are people watching, the world is watching on social media, and we are making a fool of ourselves and not loving each other well. We can have good interactions. We can have arguments. We can be, uh, you know, have those robust dialogues about things we disagree on. But it should not lead us to name calling. It should not lead us to slander. It should not lead us to say things like, I can't believe a Christian would ever. That's not honoring the Lord. If you have a problem with someone, don't take it up with them on social media. Go to them in person. Deal with it the way Christ would call us to deal with it, in love and truth. doesn't mean you have to ignore it, just do it the right way. The world is watching, and Jesus wants our unity to point to him, not our idiocy. I love Jesus, and you guys do as well. May, may our love and our unity infiltrate all of our life, all of our relationships, all of our communication, that we might display the glory of God. Jesus' prayer for his people is a unity that's observable, that will draw people to him. Jesus lived for the glory of God the Father. He was devoted, devoted to the mission of the gospel. And he loved people deeply and wanted them, particularly Christians, to unite 
under the truth of God's word and under a love that was so perfectly displayed when Jesus walked to the cross. There's a little book um, on the Gospel of John that I just thought summarized, summarized this prayer so well. And you've got it in your, in your outline there. Instead of this, of chapter 17, Jesus' main priority as he goes towards his death is that his father should accomplish his eternal plan, reversing the effects of the fall and calling together a people who will belong to him forever. The major impact of this upon us, therefore, should be to challenge our understanding of Jesus' mission and purpose. If this priority is his major concern and chief goal on earth, it should be ours too. His prayer for his apostles and for us should focus the challenge for us. Is our unity grounded in the apostles' message? Are we one in the Father and the Son, so gripped by, united in, and obedient to the gospel purpose, the gospel purpose, that the world around us is being impacted by our witness? Friends, 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for our sins. We are on the other side of history now. Jesus went to the cross. He paid for uh, the sins of those who would trust him. He rose again, conquering sin and death and Satan, and he ascended into heaven. And if we've experienced grace achieved by Jesus, we have the opportunity, we have the joy to live for his glory, to live for his mission, and to be united together as Christians with love and truth. We will do this best as we work alongside one another for the glory of God. In just a moment, we're going to go ahead and close with a song I love after, we've spending, after spending time in God's word to just go back to declaring the goodness of God. It's one of my favorite ways to, to finish uh, a Sunday morning. But before we do that, I actually want to give you guys about a minute. Uh, I know... I know my temptation on Sunday mornings is almost always the minute we pray and we finish, I'm thinking about Sunday nights and everything student ministry related. I I just jet to the next thing that's important to me. And I know that's our tendency is to run from here to, well, what am I going to eat or where do we need to go or what do the kids have going on today? But I I just want to give you one minute of silence where you can, if the Lord is pushing on something in your life, challenging you of something you need to repent of or, or a person you may need to repent to or even just something that, man, I need to be thankful for. I want you to take this moment to interact with the Lord over that. Pray to the Lord that he might uh, deliver, that he might forgive, that he might show you how to move forward, uh, how to live for God's glory, how to stay focused on his mission and how to live in a united way where we, where, where we display Jesus' truth and the love of the Father in our life. So let me just give you a moment. Just bow your heads, everybody, and just, just spend some time with the Lord before we close in song.
Friends, would you stand together, united in the truth of God and the love for each other that we have. That we would strive to be faithful with what God has called us to. But we serve a faithful God, amen? Who truly will hold us fast. Our confidence is in Jesus and Him alone.